Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. It is good to see you, church family. Let's take our Bibles, go to Mark chapter 14. Our ushers are making their way through the uh, congregation. If you need a copy of this morning's notes, it would definitely help you uh, as we go through this message. And so just raise your hand. They'll put a copy in your hand. And please, I encourage you to take good notes this morning. And uh, maybe you can even review these through the course of this week, and it can be a help to you. It is so wonderful to see a number of uh, folks who are visiting with us. And I just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your schedule. And as you're getting situated, how many of you saw snow at your house yesterday? All right. Many of you. Uh, wow. Uh, got up yesterday morning and looked out and it was pouring the snow down. It was absolutely beautiful. And uh, it was so exciting. I'm so glad it wasn't this morning uh, because... Um, Many of you would still be at home in bed, and, uh, and I'm thankful that that was yesterday. So what a great day it is. It's beautiful outside today. Now, we're going to continue in our series of messages. Now, some of you may have been distracted this morning. Wow, I, I enjoyed the music this morning, but they have this box up there. Did they forget to take that box off the, the platform? We're preaching a series of messages, living outside the box. There is no doubt that in 2020, every single life in America, their life was disrupted in some way. In fact, it carried over into 2021, our own church. We had to close the doors for a couple of weeks just as we made sure everyone was healthy and that we didn't have any physical problems here in our own church body. And we've come back and uh, there's, been an, uh, there's been an election, there's been pandemic, there's been viruses, there's been uh, not taking uh, offerings, uh, passing the plate and shaking hands. There's been a lot of disruptions. And our box of life has been flattened. We are doing things differently. Praise God that maybe we're inching toward getting back to some normal things. Hallelujah, right? I mean, that is encouraging. Um, but we're looking this year at Bible characters whose box was flattened. Something happened and they had to make some adjustments. They had to do some things that were different. And so we continue in our series of messages on living outside the box. And so as we examine a new Bible character this morning, it's a female and her name is Mary. And we might consider this morning, let's put, um, uh, let, let's put ourselves in her shoes, what this story must have been like for her. Now others can be critical. Have you ever met a critical person? All right, let's, let's all respond. Uh, some of us, we're a little bit, uh, uh, maybe we've depended on the choir to do everything. How many of you have ever encountered a critical person? All right. As I can see, that's like all of us. And our responses are so different. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, depending on your personality, you may just absorb that. <laughs> 
and, uh, and just shrug it off. And some, sometimes there's someone who's combative. They're never going to speak to me that way. I'll show them. There's a lot of different responses. Well, we have someone who encountered criticism today, and her name was Mary. Now, last year I preached a message, and we met a woman from Luke chapter 7 who broke all of the societal rules to anoint the Lord's feet in what I call an amazing act of adoration. Uh, the scene then shifted to Luke chapter 10, and we met two sisters named Mary and Martha. If you remember that story, I preached it, like I said, a year or so ago. <clears throat> it was online, so you may have watched like two minutes of it. I got you captured now, so you have to listen for a little bit longer. Uh, I preached about that, that uh, um, the, the, uh, the sister's name was Martha, that she was so distracted by serving the Lord that she forgot to sit at his feet. And Jesus reminded her that though she was worried and though she was troubled about many things, but there was one thing that was needful, and that was to sit before the Lord and, and, to, and to be amazed by his grace and to hear what he had to say. Well, in today's message, we we, we're going to flash forward in time from that story, and we find ourselves in a place called Bethany. We, many in this very room, we have stood there in Bethany. We have been there. This time, we're not at Mary's house, but we're at the house of a man by the name of Simon. And um, another meal is about to take place. And this time, admiration is not seen in silently sitting at Jesus' feet, but there was an amazing, extravagant act of love that took place. And we're going to read about it now. Let's stand together as we read a passage of scripture from Mark chapter number 14. And let's look at this lady whose name was Mary. Mark 14, I'll read the odd verses. You will read the even verses. And we'll read down through verse number 9. So I'll read the odd verses in a responsive reading. Please read the even verses. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will be, whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of. For a memorial of her. Is that not true? 2,000 years ago, this took place. And today, 2,000 years later, we're talking about it. What a memorial to this lady's selfless act of love. Father, would you help us this morning as we open your word to be able to accurately, may we be able to, with a spirit of love and grace, be able to share your word. 
Father, may we who are listening be willing to receive it. May we be willing to make decisions that could alter our own life as we look at how Mary lived her life in spite of those who had a great attitude toward her. So, Father, bless this message. Use it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let's work this, through this passage together this morning and, and see if we can learn some lasting lessons uh, about living outside the box, even when others might criticize the way you're living yours. If I break down this story that we just read, there's really three parts to the story in this passage. There's Mary's story, part one. And let's look at this word, admiration. Mary's story, part one, admiration. Our text sets the scene by telling us it was two days until Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now let's use the word of God, culture and context, and see if we can understand what's taking place. Passover. We don't celebrate Passover anymore. So why was this so important 2,000 years ago? It was an important day to the Jewish people. It was an everlasting memorial to God's deliverance of their, far, of their forefathers from slavery in Egypt. It was a reminder of his faithfulness uh, to fulfill those promises to the people. Passover was what I call a red-letter day to most Jewish families. Here's why it was so important. It was highlighted on the calendar. It was like it was Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas all rolled into one day. And it was a huge holiday. Thousands of people flooded into the streets of the city of Jerusalem for this feast. Some scholars suggest that during Jesus' lifetime, the population of that holy city, it exploded to over 2 million people during this feast. The Jewish historian Josephus recorded that some 250,000 sacrificial lambs were slain during this feast. And since tradition called for no fewer than 10 people per lamb, you can imagine how many people were here in Jerusalem. They lined the streets. They were everywhere feasting and singing, and they were celebrating Passover. It's not difficult to believe that such an event could take place. Even our own modern era, there have been mass migrations of people. Just after Operation Enduring Freedom was completed, over one million people marched and rode their animals and they drove and they took a bus to one of the cities in Iraq to, uh, to observe a pagan observance of one of Muhammad's sons. Here, these are people worshiping the God of heaven. And there were millions. It was while the masses poured into Jerusalem that this story takes place. The Bible says the chief priests and the scribes, they sought how that they might take him. The him there is Jesus. And by craft, that word craft means trickery. Put him to death. Craft here means to, it's like a decoy, a decoy or a bait or a trick or a deceit or guile. It was a, it was a, it was a real problem what these people were trying to do to Jesus. They had no legitimate reason to arrest him. So they devised an evil plot. They said this. Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar. That word uproar means riot. Not on feast day, lest there be a riot of the people. By the way, there's not usually a riot when people are worshiping Jesus. While the details of their evil plan were being worked out, 
Jesus and his disciples, they were in Jerusalem and they were in this little suburb of Bethany. And they were the guest of, of a man whose name was Simon the leper. Can you imagine that being your name? Because it's, your name often reveals so much about you. We don't know much about Simon the leper other than he was a leper. And, um, and, we, and we know that Jesus entered into his home. And it makes perfect sense that, Je- that, that Simon was the one who had been healed by Jesus. And back in Mark chapter 1, we find the account of a man who suffered from this hideous disease of leprosy. And his body was literally rotting away. And he approaches Jesus and he humbly kneels before him. And he says these words to Jesus. If thou wilt. Thou canst make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus, he was moved with compassion. And he did the absolute unthinkable. The Bible, I love reading our Bible. He did what no other person had done uh, since that man had been diagnosed with that deadly disease. The Bible records this. He put forth his hand and touched him. Jesus said, I am willing Be thou clean. And at that moment, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him. And the Bible says he was cleansed. And even though Jesus asked the man to keep the good news quiet, it was too much. The joy that was in him. He went out and the Bible says he began to publish it much. He told everyone about what Jesus had done. By the way, if Jesus cures you of the sin of of leprosy, that leprosy of sin that will cause us to die. If Jesus cures you of that, I sure hope you'll shout it from the, uh, the, the rooftops and you'll tell other people that I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm not ashamed of it. Amen. At this moment, um, as soon as he had spoken, Simon the leper had been healed. Now Luke chapter 17 describes another scene for us. It records a group of 10 men who had leprosy. And, uh, and they cried out to the Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. His, the reputation of Jesus had already preceded him. And Jesus simply said, hey, hey guys, go show yourself to the priest. That's it. That's what he said. Go show yourself to the priest. And as soon as they went, the Bible says, and it came to pass that they were cleansed. They were healed of their leprosy. The Bible then says, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, uh, he turned back and with a loud voice, he glorified God. He fell down on his, on his face at the feet of Jesus. And, um, and the Bible says that he was a Samaritan. We've already described Samaritans in the past. These were half-breed Jews. They were people that were shunned by the Jewish people. Well, maybe Simon was the man who asked Jesus if he was willing. Maybe he was the one of the nine who wanted to do something for Jesus in gratitude. Whatever the case, here's the story in Mark 14. We are now in the home of a leper. Back to our story about Mary. Imagine this scene for a moment. What a beautiful time of sweet fellowship. Think of the conversation that evening. Simon, he's sitting there and he's describing what it was like to watch his flesh rot away. I don't mean to be gross, but, uh, but those who have leprosy, they say the nose falls off. Your little finger falls off, moving across your hand. Each one of your digits fall off. Your flesh literally rots away until there's nothing left. 
to dreaded disease. Imagine Simon describing how he had already lost so many fingers and toes. Perhaps the tip end of his nose was already gone. And he, did, he, he, did, he talked about the isolation of living among other lepers in a leper colony and not being able to, to, to see family. And then the unspeakable joy it was to be healed. Oh, Lazarus was there. And he says, Lazarus, Lazarus said to Simon, uh, I hear your story. If you think that was bad, being a leper, how about being dead for three days? Uh, Simon, you may have had a near-death experience. Hey, listen, let me tell you, Simon, I had an actual death experience. If you want to talk about your fingers falling off, guess what? I had been dead four days, and I was starting to rot. That's what the Bible says. Imagine the stories that were told there about how Jesus had dramatically changed lives. And Lazarus said, Simon, uh, you know, he healed you, but he came to my grave and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And I had to leave the glories of heaven and come back to this old body. And I came back. I'm here to tell you today about that story. I have no doubt that Mary sat at Jesus' feet throughout the evening and they were telling stories back and forth and how it must have been. And, and, and Martha, she, she was obviously serving and, and uh, she was hurrying about, making sure everybody was taken care of and, and probably helping Simon and whoever was preparing this meal. I don't know. I can only use my creative imagination. But here's what I do know. That the person that Mark calls woman... There's a parallel passage where John names this lady as Mary. I imagine, imagine they've all been having this fellowship, telling all of their stories, recounting the miracles. Do you know that Jesus performed miracles that we don't even know about? They had the, the Bible even says that, that all of the miracles of Jesus haven't even been recorded. Oh, we're going day, we're going to hear about those. These people, they knew about those, and they're there talking and and somewhere, somewhere in the midst of all this fellowship and conversation, Mary, she slips away. She returns with what's called an alabaster box, a very costly ointment of spikenard. And she broke it. And the Bible says she poured it on his head. Oh, don't come to my house and pour your perfume and cologne all over my head. That's weird. But it wasn't. 2,000 years ago. That was something that was a part of their culture. Only it would have been a few drops of some sweet-smelling ointment. The Bible says that it was a very costly spike nerd. Um, uh, a full 12 ounces, if you will. Some of the most expensive perfumes today sell for more than $150 for a half ounce. Mary's vase seems to have contained 24 times that amount. The Bible says this bottle perfume was so expensive in terms of dollars and cents, its values could have fed several hundred families in this culture. Its value was the equivalent to an entire year's wages for the average working man. What did she do with it? The Bible says she broke that flask and she poured it on his head. And as we noted earlier, it was customary for, uh, for the host of such a, a feast to anoint the heads of the guests with just a couple drops of an expensive oil. It is the culture of that time. The fragrance would linger for days. And the purpose of that was to remember the hospitality of that host. 
But Mary didn't dribble a few drops. She poured it all. She didn't even measure a few uh, teaspoons out. She poured it all. She shattered it, poured out the contents. She held nothing back for herself. And she willingly gave it all to the Lord. And the Bible also adds this, that, that there was just a little bit left. And she poured the rest of it out on the feet of Jesus. And, and even got down and wiped her hair uh, on the feet of Jesus. Can you picture that unexpected, unnerving act? Quiet, reserved, unobtrusive Mary. She slips into the room almost unnoticed and everyone is telling their stories and bam, she breaks that and begins to pour that ointment all over Jesus. She pours that costly oil and it begins to run through his hair and into his beard and to drip on his garments. She continues to pour until it had saturated his clothing. Realizing there was little left, she emptied out the very last of it. She massages and cleans his feet with that fragrant aroma of a, a very expensive, very expensive oil. John, 3, uh, John 12 verse 3 adds this, And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. As I was thinking about this this week, can you just also use your imagination for just a moment? This was Mary's extravagant act of admiration for the Lord, and, and it was not to be easily dismissed. It was not to be quickly forgotten. Think about this. Jesus would wear these very clothes to his death on the cross. And in doing so, that smell would linger with him. Those crude Roman soldiers who took his clothes at the feet of the cross, they would have recognized the smell from this very act of love. It was expensive. It was extravagant. It was a lavish lesson of Mary's love for her Lord and Savior. Surely there are those among us who adore Jesus and, and we give back to him, even if it's expensive. Uh-oh. Guess what? Not Everyone was enamored or approved of Mary giving so much to Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that? You're fanatical. You really get into this Jesus thing, don't you? <laughs> Not me. Have you ever met someone like that? We see in verse 4 and 5 in Mary's story, there was an attitude. There was an attitude. The smell of a whole pound of potent perfume being emptied on Jesus must have been an overpowering to the senses and to everyone that was in that house. They didn't miss the significance. They didn't miss the extravagance of Mary's act of adoration. In fact, in verse number four, you read it, and there were some, so that's more than one, that had indignation or an attitude within themselves. And they said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Think about these disciples who sat around the table. For the last three years, they had lived off the land. They had lived off the generosity of others. They had no jobs. They had no steady income. And most of their nights, the Bible says, was spent out underneath the stars. 
They ate what they found in the fields and from the fruit trees and the fish from the sea. They had no homes or salaries. Uh, they couldn't believe what Mary had just done. They mentally calculated the value of that oil. And they realized that they could have lived off of this expensive gift for a very long time. Can't you hear them? Of course Jesus is worthy, but couldn't Mary have poured out just a little? It was such a potent perfume, a little would go a long way. But no, Mary had to dump the whole thing on the Lord. This is so wasteful. Couldn't you hear maybe Peter saying that? And Judas saying that? The Bible says that they were not just amazed that she did this or surprised that they did this, but the Bible says they were indignant. They were greatly agitated. They were angry. They asked among themselves, why was this fragrant oil wasted? I asked these disciples, and I ask you this morning, since when is anything given to Jesus ever wasted? John 12, 4 tells us, tells us that it is the betrayer Judas Iscariot that quickly does the math. And he readily points out that the perfume could have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. John chapter 12 says uh, this he said, not that he cared for the poor because he was a thief. And had the bag and bear what was put therein. Judas was a wicked man, but he was always thinking about the money behind it. A pence was the average day's wage for a working man. So we certainly know that 300 pence was the annual salary of a typical household. And in today's economy, uh, this is equivalent to somewhere between twenty dollars to $40,000 dripping off of Jesus' beard. Eh, I think most of us would think that's a little bit extravagant. That's a little bit much. So they were disgusted with Mary's exorbitant gift. The Bible says this. Notice what we read there in Mark. It says they murmured against her. They criticized. They sharply scolded her. Murmured comes from a Greek word that means to snort like a horse with anger. If you spent much time around horses, you know that they snort constantly. And if you spent much time around angry people, you know they snort too. They seem to have snorted and scolded Mary. Imagine them snorting. Mary, I can't believe how wasteful that was. And snort, snort. Mary, uh, have you any idea how much that oil was worth? I can imagine them ganging up on her at that time. Mary, weren't you thinking of anyone else? But you're, you're not thinking of anyone else but yourself. Mary is suddenly, as a woman... In a man's society, outside her box. She was being scolded by disciples of Jesus. She was being ridiculed, snorted at. These people were indignant. Mary, what have you done? They had an attitude. Now, all of us this morning, we have an attitude we have a good attitude or we have a bad attitude. Every one of us, we have an attitude. wonder which one we identify with. Mary, I love Jesus so much. I always want to give my life to him. I want to give anything I have. 
to see others saved. Or are you like the disciples? By the way, they were church people. Because after Jesus died, they, still, they started the church. These people that were indignant, these people that gave Mary an attitude, were church people. Are you like Mary or the disciples? Mary is suddenly outside the box. Well, notice quickly the third part of our story. Oh, she had admiration and the disciples had attitude, but I'm so thankful for Jesus. In the third part of the story, we see the word admonish. Jesus, he admonishes them. Out of this scolding, Jesus speaks and everyone else hushes their snorting. And Jesus says this, let her alone. Leave her alone. I think there was sternness in these words. I imagine his eyes grew narrow. I imagine his voice uh, became a, a little bit lower. I imagine as Jesus admonishes this group, you could have heard a pin drop. Everyone sat in gap mouth silence. They expected Jesus to agree with them. They expected he too would reprimand Mary for her wastefulness. Rather, he admonishes them and he compliments her. How often we think we know the mind of Christ and how surprised we would be to know that he sees things far differently than we do. Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Good here could accurately be translated beautiful. Her gift is beautiful in my eyes. Jesus appeals to his disciples. Listen to this. Jesus appeals to his church people. Ye have the poor with you always, and whenever ye will, will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. Of course, Jesus didn't mean we shouldn't feed and assist the poor. That's not what he's saying. On the contrary, benevolent work is always consistent with the gospel. No one ever showed greater compassion for the poor than Jesus. That's what he did for three and a half years as he healed the, the, the sick and the diseased and helped the poor. On the contrary, Jesus meant that there will always be an opportunity to care for the needy, but there may not always be an opportunity for them to show such admiration for their Lord and Savior. In other words, Mary had her priorities in the right order. He says, she had done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing or for my burial, and out of this group of Jesus' closest friends, Maybe only Mary sensed the shadow of the cross was falling over Jesus at this time. Maybe she alone had heard and believed when he said that he was going to go away and that he had to die for them. Maybe she was the only one that was perceptive enough to understand. And she gave everything in a selfless act of love. The Jews would condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock discourage and to crucify she knew Jesus was coming to her home and she looked for a gift to show him her great love Jesus said in verse number nine verily I say unto you wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial to her Mary was put in an uncomfortable outside the box moment by those who profess to know Christ Oh, it's easy. The world, we could talk about the unsaved world. Folks, the unsaved world hates us. The Bible says that, that the unsaved world doesn't understand what we're doing this morning. But God forbid that it's Christians. It's church people. It's those who profess to know Christ who have such a sharp, critical, unbridled tongue. 
Notice these people that she was hanging out with were not the lost world. It was her brothers and sisters in Christ. It it is possible that our own can make us uncomfortable. It is possible that we can do something so amazing for Jesus and for his work that others would criticize us. All right, that's the story. But what can I learn from the story? What can I take this coming week? So let me give you some lasting lessons for admiration. What can I take this coming week? What can I decide to do this very day? Our admiration for Jesus should be extravagant. I tell you what I learned from Mary, even if others are going to snort, even if others are going to murmur, even if others are going to be indignant, even if others don't understand uh, how much I love Jesus, my admiration for Jesus must be extravagant. Back in verse number four, we read that there were some who were upset by Mary's extravagant gift. And there were some who sat at the table who had been with Jesus for three years. And they saw Jesus walk on the water. And they saw Jesus heal the lame and and touch the blind eyes and heal the deaf ears. And others with all different manners of diseases and maladies. And Jesus came by and he healed them. And many times all he had to do was speak a word and they were healed. They saw, these disciples saw him uh, uh, command the legions of hell with just a single word. And they saw him calm the raging seas with just a single command. And to a man they confessed that he was Christ, that he was the son of the living God. Do you remember that story? Peter James and John. These three disciples, they were able to go uh, a little bit further than the other disciples to a place uh, where Jesus showed them um, uh, something that no one else had seen about heaven. And they argued among themselves. Well, am I going to be closer to Jesus? No, I want to be closer to Jesus. No, I want to be closer. And they, they argued like little boys. You remember that story? Yet now around this table of fellowship, In this comfortable home, they couldn't understand Mary's actions. Remember, these are are three guys that argued about who was going to be closest to Jesus, and now they're arguing about why she wasted all of this expensive perfume. Here's the truth. There will always be some who will never understand admiration. There will always be some who never understand admiration. May I just say, I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I can say that from the mountaintop, and there's going to be some that says, he's one of those Jesus freaks. He's one of those people. I I mean, does he really think, okay, religion's nice. I don't have religion. I have a friend, and his name is Jesus. And I'm so thankful for him this morning. And there's always going to be some who are obsessed by cost and restraint and any manner of distraction. Why is it in church work we always want to do what is practical and never what is impractical, extraordinary, extravagant? Think about that. Why do we build houses of worship like this with always the lowest bid? The person who can take the biggest shortcut. Why do we furnish the house with the cheapest bargain basement equipment? Is my Lord and Savior not worth more? Why do we settle in and get used to worn out equipment and badly needed repairs at God's house when we should have long ago taken care of those problems at God's house? We're not here to impress the world. 
but we are here to give Christ our best. Mary gave her best, even when those disciples of Christ criticized her. I don't know, are we more like Mary or are we more like some who angrily sat at the table? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, I know both how to be abased and know how to abound everywhere in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Sometimes God let Paul stay in prison. Sometimes he let him stay in a mansion. He knew how to be abased or to suffer uh, from need. And he also knew how to abound and to have much. He could live on a little or he could live on a lot. Our admiration does not come cheap. It requires a breaking of the flask, breaking out our time and our talents and our treasures. May I just say, serve Jesus with some extravagance. The second lesson I learned from this story is that our admiration should be extreme. It should be extreme. Not only should our admiration for Jesus be extravagant, we, we want it to be the very best, even if others don't understand, but my admiration for Jesus Christ should be extreme. Extravagant admiration was Mary's action, but her love that demonstrated her motive. Jesus knew her heart. This is why he said that she had done a good or she has done a beautiful thing for him. Do you remember the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm becoming as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all, I can have all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Even if we have the greatest of gift, even if we sacrifice everything, if we do not do it for love, it comes to nothing. May I just say this morning, we should have an extreme love for everything Jesus. Love alone makes our gifts pleasing to God. Our love for God sometimes calls for us to break a flask. It calls for us to do more than we can afford. After all, if, a, if we can budget it or explain it, it's not really that extravagant. We need, to have an, we need to give in extravagance. We need to have an extreme love for our Lord. The third lesson is that our admiration should be exuberant. I thought about the word enthusiastic. Um, how many of us know that Christian that says they're a Christian, but if their face, if it was based on their face, there's no way that they're a Christian. How many of you know someone like that? Okay. I'm enthusiastic about coming to Tucson Baptist Church. I love my church. That means I love you. I love my Lord. I'm not ashamed of him. When someone says, well, I meet someone out in public, well, what do you do? Uh, I, I'm a teacher. Oh, great. Where do you teach? Oh, I was hoping they wouldn't ask that. Uh, no, when someone says, what do you do? I pastor Tucson Baptist Church. Your pastor's not ashamed that he pastors Tucson Baptist Church. I'm enthusiastic. I'm just telling you, there's, a, there's an exuberance that comes with being a Christ follower. 
The more I examine this text, the more I look at this story, the more I think about Mary's act, it was not part of some well-designed plan. It seems to be somewhat exuberant, enthusiastic, spontaneous. It seems to me that she simply followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit to do something that few others would have done. Have you ever felt led to do something out of the ordinary? Maybe you felt impressed that you would share Christ with a total stranger, but you didn't. And the moment passed. Perhaps he has put in your heart the thought of giving a large gift to the ministry or to some missionary that's in, 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 uh, that we support. You may have even gotten out your checkbook. And you close the checkbook and it never happened. You let the moment pass. May I just say Mary didn't let the moment pass. She was sensitive to the still, small uh, uh, voice of the Spirit of God. And she responded with instant, exuberant obedience, enthusiastic obedience. John Calvin wrote this of Mary. She was guided by the breath of the Spirit that in short confidence she should do this in duty to Christ. She didn't know why God was leading her in this way. She could not have known that in doing so that she would become an example of God's church for all of eternity. For 2,000 years, we're still talking about Mary and this gift. There are times when we need to throw common sense out the window and we need to yield to the automatic impulse of the leadership of the Spirit. There are times, and may I just tell you, there are times that the Holy Spirit knows more than we know. There are times when we need to throw off sensibility and practicality and fling caution to the wind and demonstrate our unfailing admiration for Jesus with extravagance and extremeness and exuberance. That that ought to be something that characterizes our life. You know that there's no record that Mary responded negatively to her critics. They made her feel uncomfortable. They put her outside the box here she had just done this selfless act of love. And what was, her, what was her gift from those who should have rejoiced with her? Ridicule. But we don't see her responding in a negative way. Here's what I see about Mary. In spite of the criticism, she kept on loving Jesus. Today, God is calling for some of us to break some vase. He wants the sweet smell of admiration to permeate the air. By the way, you know why we often have testimony time to brag on Jesus? Because it brightens up the whole room. It brightens up the whole room when you hear someone brag about what Jesus has done in their life, an answered prayer, an unsaved family member who trusted Christ, a co-worker who trusted Christ, how the Lord met some specific need. For some, that might mean doing something you've never done before. It may mean that you need to do something with extravagance today. For many, it means simply allowing yourself to be broken and allow the sweet fragrance of Christ to come pouring into your own life. And when you do, guess what? The whole house fills with fragrance. Our church needs some brothers and sisters in Christ who understand what extravagance is, who understands what extreme is, and who understands that with exuberance, I can tell others about my Lord. Are you a Mary? By the way, everyone, close your notes. 
put them in your Bible, close your Bible, and get ready because we're almost done. And that way no one can be distracted. Okay, go ahead. Everybody make their noise. All right, good. Got it done. All right, here we go. And now everyone can look up here. Now, ladies, I didn't tell you to get your purses ready. We're not ready just yet. All right, so I'll put a couple of ladies put the purse in their, in their, in their, in their lap already. Wait a second. I want to ask you a question. And guess what? Everyone else knows the answer. Here's the question. This isn't a question that you can hide in secret. Are you a Mary? Everyone here knows if you are. Or, this morning, are you one of those disciples? You snort like a horse. Because you're indignant at the thought of being sold out for Jesus. There's other priorities. And if it fits into my schedule, I'll come. I'll be a part. I'll toss the proverbial 20 bucks in the giving box out in the hallway. Hey, I've done my duty. Guess what? Everyone looking up here. Everyone here knows if you're a Mary or you're one of the other disciples. Everyone here. That part you cannot hide. Because everyone knew that Mary was Mary because it lasted for days. Because they could smell the lavish gift that others criticized. Everyone here knows if you're a Mary or you're one of those snorting, indignant, bad attitude disciples. Which one are you? <laughs> 